Thanks for listening to the Valley Point Church Podcast. We hope it's a blessing to you. Okay, please take out your talk notes, get them ready, and let's finish our series. I want to begin with a question. For those of us who are on the other side of high school, do you remember your high school years? Now, you might have to go back a little bit and review in your mind, but do you remember your high school years? I graduated from Yorkville High School in Yorkville, Illinois in 1988. The 80s was a great decade, and it was a great time to be in high school. I loved my high school years. Toward the end of my senior year, our class got together, and I'm sure other schools did this as well, but we voted on classmates who would be the next to maybe accomplish something. So we voted on things like this. Who will be the next pro athlete from our school? Who will be the next president or high-ranking government official? Who will be the next great intellectual in our country? And we threw several other categories into that mix, and we voted and then shared the results. Again, I think other schools do this. It's not an uncommon thing. It is kind of different, though, because you're basing people's future success on what happened in high school, which is kind of strange, but that's all you know at that point, so that's what you do. Well, we voted, and wouldn't you know, yours truly won an award. I did. Now, I did not win many awards in high school, so it was a pleasant surprise to me when it was announced that I won something based on how my peers voted. Now, I know what you're thinking. Some of you are like, you know what, I I bet our pastor won the most athletic. (laughs) Right. Right. That didn't happen for me. I, I don't even believe I got a vote in that particular category, which is fine. I'm not bitter about it. Some of you may be thinking, oh, I bet our pastor won the next great intellectual mind. Well, I didn't win that award either, and thank you for not laughing at that one, at least. (laughs) Thank you for that. I wasn't a great student in high school. I was one of those students who made it possible for there to be an upper 25%. (laughs) So Somebody's got to encourage them and help them and sacrifice for them. So that was my calling in high school. Now, the award I won was called the most family-oriented. Aww. (laughs) Isn't that nice? I can assure you, as an 18-year-old guy in high school, it was not an aww (laughs) moment for me. Like, my friends basically voted me to be the next Mr. Brady of the Brady Bunch, That's what they did. I actually have a picture from the yearbook of that award. There it is. And you can see one of my friends wrote in my yearbook, what a nerd. Yeah. I had nice friends. I won the award for Mr. Brady. They told me to dress up in a tie for that day like Mr. Brady. That's my friend Kathy. She won Mrs. Brady. And there was an elementary school next to the high school, and they said, hey, let's go and get an elementary student and put him in the picture so it looks like an Olin Mills family portrait, if you remember Olin Mills. So that's what we did. 
I won the most family-oriented. Kind of a prophetic award because I would go on to meet my wife, Tanya, in college. We got married after we both graduated, and indeed, we had six kids, three boys and three girls, just like the Bradys. So kind of bizarre, kind of bizarre. Well, success is often defined by what you win and what you achieve, right? We normally define it that way. If you win something, if you achieve something, even an award in high school like that, well, then you must be successful. Throughout our series, though, we have been looking at success through a different lens, And we have been saying success is not what you win and what you achieve. Success is more about what happens on the inside. It's about your character. And it's about the choices that you make. And if our character is God-honoring, and if our choices are God-honoring, then we can, it's possible, I believe, for us to have true and lasting success. So again, we have been looking at success through a different lens. It's not what you win and what you achieve or what other people think you may aspire to become at some point. It's about what happens on the inside. And we have defined success like this. Passionately pursue God. Passionately pursue God. Don't stop and don't give up when life is tough. That was week one of the series. And we talked about a young king named Josiah. He found a copy of the word of God that had been neglected and he began to read through that and it changed him. It caused a stir in his heart that then caused a revival in the nation as he led on the effort to passionately pursue God. And so our challenge was do that, don't stop and don't give up when life is tough because life does get tough, but keep passionately pursuing God. In week two, we said this, do what is right, no matter the cost. And we looked at the lives of two dynamic women from Exodus chapter one, named Shifra and Pua. And they were asked by an authority to do something that they knew wasn't right. And so they stood up to the authority, probably the most powerful leader in the world at that time, and said, no, We cannot do that because we answer to someone who is higher than you. A really dangerous thing to say for them. But they did it because they made the choice to do what's right, no matter the cost. And then last week, we talked about this. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. We looked at another character in the Old Testament by the name of Barzillai a guy I had never heard of until I began to research, but yet he's in the Bible a few different times, and from him, loyalty and kindness. And when he acted that way, he secured a great future for his family, success. By the way, if we do those things in humility, in humility, we passionately pursue God. In humility, we do what is right, no matter the cost. In humility... We never let loyalty and kindness leave us. I believe we can win in life. And when we win, we will be successful. Today, we have one final obscure biblical character to discuss. We've been in the Old Testament all three weeks. 
Today we're going to conclude this series by talking about an individual from the New Testament, and it's an obscure person, and someone we might point to and say, yeah, I'm not so sure they are successful. I'm not sure they had success at any point in life, but yet they were successful. We're going to talk today about the thief on the cross, one of the individuals next to Jesus who was dying for crimes he had committed, but yet in that dying moment, he turned to Jesus, and I believe there he found success. So we're going to review a little bit of the crucifixion scene. That scene for us is described in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they talk about it in great detail. Normally, the conversation is predominantly about Jesus. When you think about the cross and the crucifixion, it is about Jesus, and deservedly so. After all, it is his story of how he came with a singular mission to Pay for my sins and your sins and the sins of the world. The story of the cross is the story of God's love on full display and how it is available for everyone. Everyone can enjoy what God did through Christ on the cross for us. So when you think about crucifixion, Jesus. Cross, Jesus. And all of that is true. But there are also two individuals who died that day next to Jesus, I believe one of them had a very successful ending. So let's think about the thief on the cross. Here are some thinking points as we consider what we need to know about him. Number one, the thief on the cross does not have a name. No gospel writer tells us his actual name, and that's probably because They did not know his name. Matthew and Mark refer to him as a revolutionary. Luke refers to him as a criminal. And John, in his gospel, just refers to him as the other. He doesn't have a name. He's a revolutionary, a criminal, a thief, someone who had done some bad things, and we don't know his name. Secondly, By his own admission, the thief was getting what he deserved. He was being crucified due to crimes committed, which brings up the question, what kind of crimes? Because that's a terrible way to die. So what had this guy done? Well, we're not told in Scripture. We're just told that he was a criminal, he was a revolutionary, a thief, and by his own admission, which we'll read about in just a moment, he knew that he deserved to die according to this society's standards. So by his own own admission, the thief was getting what he deserved. Thirdly, the thief died a very difficult death, like Jesus. Again, the story is always about Jesus, and we talk about all the pain that he endured for us, but there were two other individuals who died that day, and they suffered a very difficult death just like Jesus. One scholar says it this way, the overall practice, and we're thinking here about crucifixion. So the overall practice of crucifixion was reserved primarily for the most reviled of perpetrators, including criminals, traitors, 
enemy combatants, and the like. In effect, it was a horrible punishment reserved for the despised, and it was used to warn an observant public of the consequences meted out for certain behaviors. When you read that, I believe you can come to the conclusion, that doesn't sound very successful. We're in a series called Success, and we're talking about this obscure person who apparently had some kind of success, but when you read historians and scholars talk about crucifixion and what it was designed for, that doesn't sound like success at all. So why are we talking about this guy? Why the thief on the cross? We love Jesus, don't we? Oh, we love talking about Jesus and how he forgives and restores. And we find Jesus doing that over and over and over again throughout the pages of scripture. He forgives and he restores, and he does it constantly in some very unusual circumstances. I'm thinking about a guy named Zacchaeus. He was an individual who was hated because of how he treated others. But then he meets Jesus, and what does Jesus do? Well, they have a conversation. Zacchaeus turns his life around a bit. Jesus forgives and restores. And it's our understanding that Zacchaeus dedicated the rest of his life to doing good things. I'm thinking about the woman at the well, somebody who was pushed to the fringes of society because of choices that she had made. Nobody really liked her, and nobody wanted to be around her, except for Jesus, right? And this is why we love Jesus, because he talks to those that nobody else will talk to, and he befriends those who have no friends at all and reaches out to those who have been pushed away from others. And so we find him having a conversation with this woman and he forgives and restores. And when you read about her account in John's gospel, you get the full understanding. She turned her life around a bit and she began to tell other people about this wonderful man, this wonderful Messiah, and she introduced people to him. We love the stories of Jesus and how he forgives and restores. But this guy, this guy, the thief on the cross, has no opportunity, if he turns to Jesus, to right his wrongs. He has no ability to do that at all because he's going to die. And yet we find Jesus reaching out to him. And I think sometimes we read stories like that and we're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus, maybe you're taking this whole forgiveness thing a little too far. Because certainly I have to do something I have to accomplish something, and maybe we need to relax a little bit, Jesus. But that's not what we find in Luke's gospel. So I'm going to read through this account. I would encourage you to follow along. This is Luke chapter 23. I'm going to begin reading in verse 32, and then we'll bounce around a little bit. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him, with Jesus. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, 
So you're the Messiah, are you? You're the one, huh? Prove it by saving yourself and, and us too. Save me while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. And there we have the thief admitting, we've done some bad stuff, we deserve this. But this man, Jesus, hasn't done anything wrong. Then he looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Some extraordinary words. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the full indication we get when you compare Luke's gospel with the other gospels is that there was a change in this man's opinion and in his heart regarding Jesus. Now, we don't know the circumstances surrounding that. Perhaps he had some time to talk to Jesus, or perhaps he knew about Jesus. Maybe he had watched him give a sermon or had watched him as he healed someone and he knew a little bit about Jesus and now he's beginning to believe in his final moments. We don't know the circumstances, but we do know there is a change of heart. He trusts, he believes. So much so that we find this in verse 43. Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. I assure you, today, today, when we die, you will be with me in paradise. Notice Jesus didn't say, when you get the chance to come off of the cross, and good luck with that because I don't think it's going to happen, but if it does happen, perhaps you can clean up your life a little bit and right your wrongs, and then, then maybe you'll be with me in paradise. Or perhaps, thief, in these closing moments of life, you need to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and then you will be with me in paradise. No, Jesus knew his fate. Jesus fully understood. We are both dying here, and you have no opportunity to change your life at all. And in this moment... Jesus doesn't ask him to do anything. Jesus accepts his faith and his trust and declares, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus took his simple trust, that simple trust, and said, today, you're with me. You're with me. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. And the profound outcome from the thief's life is that his eternity was secured with Jesus forever. Success, right? Success. Well, I think one of the greatest choices we can make in life, I'd actually say the greatest choice we can make in life And how we can be assured that we are successful is when we secure our eternity by trusting in Jesus alone. The greatest choice we can make in life that assures us of success because we'll have Jesus and a home with him forever. 
And I want to take the time I have left to explain that in simple ways and be as clear as I possibly can so that everyone here has the opportunity, if they've never done this, to say, you know what? I want that kind of success. I want to trust in Jesus. Often I get the opportunity to sit down with people and have this kind of conversation about eternity and believing in Jesus and trusting in him. And people ask, what does that mean? And so I'll often begin these conversations by asking the question, what are you trusting in to get you to heaven? And often people think a little bit, and I'd encourage you to consider that question. What are you trusting in to get you to heaven? And often people will say, well, you know what? I'm trying to do good things. Trying to do great stuff. Trying to stack up righteous acts, pure acts, in hope that when I die someday, that my righteousness, my goodness, these good acts that I have accomplished will somehow outweigh the bad acts and based on that scale, God will allow me into heaven and I'll be able to enjoy him. But it's based on what I do. I have to do some things. And I'll normally begin to turn the conversation and say, well, that's very interesting because you don't really find that model anywhere in scripture. And, and I've looked, I've tried to search for that, but you don't really find God asking us to do anything to earn his favor in order to get into heaven. Now, God wants us to do good things. That's how we honor him and please him. But to do good things in order to get into heaven, you don't really find that anywhere in scripture. If that's what God wanted for us, if he really wanted us to do things, I believe he'd make that very clear. Here's the five things. Five steps you gotta take. Or here's the 10 things, or the 50 things, or the 100 things, whatever it is. He would just make that very clear and we could begin the checklist. All right, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. All right, I'm good to go. But that list doesn't exist in scripture. So it's not really what you do that secures eternity and makes us successful that way. When you walk through the pages of scripture, I think it's clear our success in this arena is based on what God, through Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection, has done for us. And we needed a divine righteousness. We needed to be declared righteous somehow, in some way, because we can't do enough good. We just can't to earn the favor of God, the nod of God at the end of our life. God knew about this, and that's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross, and because of what he has done for us, it's our faith and our trust in him alone that assures success and a home forever with Jesus. If you're on the do plan, stop it. Stop it. That's my encouragement because you can't do enough, and how would you ever know? There's a better plan. And we see it so beautifully displayed here with the story of the thief on the cross who had no opportunity to do anything good at all. 
It was through his simple trust that he was declared righteous because of what Jesus had done for him. So do versus done. A fascinating way to think about how we need a divine righteousness to help us. Theologians take all of this and they use a word called justification. That word justification means to be declared righteous. And that's exactly what happened to the thief on the cross. Through no effort of his own, he was declared righteous in those final moments. Success! Success! And offered a forever home with Jesus. Justification. It means to be declared righteous. And so I want to walk you through what happened to the thief and what happens to us when we are justified, when we trust in Jesus alone to rescue us, when we are declared righteous, when we are justified. So let's think about pre-justification for just a moment. Before a person trusts in Jesus, you can kind of look at it this way. There's a debts column and an assets column. Before we are declared righteous, let's Think about our debts spiritually. Do we have any? Well, here's what it says. Each thought, act, or motive violates God's standard. And personal sins accumulate as long as a person lives. And so you can see before trusting in Jesus, the debt column is full. It's even bursting, especially because Our sins just pile up on each other. Do we have any assets, though? No assets. No assets. I'm not a financial wizard, but if you have a lot of debts and no assets, then you're in a world of trouble. You're in a world of trouble. And often, this is when we begin to say, well, then I need to do a lot of stuff in order to build some assets so I can be right with God. And God the whole time is saying, you can't. You can't. You have to be declared righteous in some way. And that all happens because of what Jesus has done for us. So when a person trusts in Jesus alone, They are justified. And now let's think about post-justification. Let's think through this a little bit. Do we have debts? Well, check this out. The merits of Christ's death are credited to our account and all debits are erased. That's what happened to the thief. If you've trusted in Jesus alone, that's what happened to you. The moment of salvation, the moment you trusted in him alone, the merits of Christ's death credited to you. Again, through no effort of your own because you couldn't do it just with trust in Jesus alone without adding anything to that, the merits of Christ's death credited to our account, all debits are erased. Beautiful. Do we have any assets? Check this out. The merits of Christ's life are credited to our account and the assets column is full. Full to overflowing. That's what happened to the thief And that's what happens to any person who trusts in Jesus alone. Debits erased. And the righteousness of Christ's life credited to our account 
and our eternity is secure forever, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Justification, this being declared righteous, I believe it is the most profound turning point in a person's life, and it all centers on a divine righteousness. Not mine, not mine, but on a divine righteousness that is provided for us and what God has done. So with all of that being said, let me give you our big idea now. I normally do that at the beginning. I saved it to the end today because I believe it is appropriate. Here's the theme of our whole conversation and the challenge is to trust in Jesus alone. Allow him to declare you righteous based on his righteousness. This is what we learn. This is what we learn from the thief on the cross. It happened to him. It can happen to us. Let me give you two takeaways. Number one, the same big idea theme, and that is trust in Jesus alone and be declared righteous. If you've never taken that step, if you're on the do plan, then today is your day. It's your day to say, I'm going to trust in Jesus alone and abandon trying to do things because I can't do enough. It's not going to work anyway. So today is the day that I will trust in Jesus alone and allow his righteousness and his life to be credited to my account. I will be declared righteous, justified. Secondly, if you have been declared righteous, then walk in confidence that you are a child of God. Such an amazing thought. If you have trusted in Jesus alone, then you are a child of God. You belong to him and he will never forget about you. He will never leave you. He will never abandon you. He can't or he wouldn't be God. You are a child. You are family. So walk in confidence that you are a son. You are a daughter of God and you are secure in him and you have success. And the challenge is you got to share that. Freely share that because we were never designed to keep that information all to ourselves. We're designed to be bright lights where we live, work, and play. And so freely share that we have been declared righteous, that you have been declared righteous. As I was doing all of my study for this, I came across something from author Max Licato that just speaks to the righteousness of Christ and the thief on the cross who embraced all of this and became successful. Here's what he says. Jesus' love does not depend upon what we do for him. Not at all. In the eyes of the king, you have value simply because you are. You don't have to look nice or perform well. Your value is inborn. This makes me smile because I know I don't deserve love like that. None of us do. When you get right down to it, any contribution that any of us make is pretty puny. All of us, even the purest of us, deserve heaven about as much as that crook did. All of us are signing on Jesus' credit card, not ours. And it also makes me smile to think that there is a grinning ex-con walking the golden streets who knows more about grace than a thousand theologians. No one else would have given him a prayer. But in the end, that is all he had. And in the end, that is all it took. No wonder. No wonder 
they call him the Savior. Father, we are thankful for all that you have done for us. What love. What love. A love we don't deserve. A love we could never earn. You freely give it to us. You don't force it upon us. It's our choice. We're one of the two thieves that were killed next to you on that day. We either reject you and say, that's not for me, or we trust. God, I pray that you'd help us today to really think through this. What we've learned from the thief on the cross is you can't earn your way into heaven, into a forever relationship with Jesus. It takes simple trust. It's a gift you offer. God, I pray that you'd help many today to say, I want to get off of the do plan and get on the done plan and just trust in Jesus alone and allow the life and the death of Christ to be credited to my account and to have success true and lasting success knowing that I belong to God forever. Forever. I'd like for you just to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. Maybe you're here this morning and this is beginning to make sense to you. Perhaps you've never trusted in Jesus alone to rescue you. Been trying to do things to get the nod of God, for him to smile at you. But that can't get you into heaven. Only trust in Jesus alone can. And so if you're ready to embrace the forever friendship that God offers through what he has done in Christ, then I would just encourage you, have a conversation with God. Talk to him, pray. Prayer isn't something strange. It's just having a conversation with God like, how we would have a conversation together. And so from your heart to God's ears, just say, God, I know that I am a sinner. I know it. My life is not perfect. I've messed up in many areas. God knows that to be true of us, but he loves when we communicate that to him. So share that. And then tell God that you're trusting in his leadership and his forgiveness. It's for you. For you. And then just tell him that you're trusting in the work of Jesus alone. You're not going to add anything to that. You're simply going to trust. Tell God that. I'm trusting in Jesus alone. No effort of my own. No good deeds of my own. Just trust in the work of Jesus. And then thank him for rescuing you. He sees you. He knows you.
and wants the righteousness of Christ's death and life to be yours fully. So thank him for rescuing you. If that's a conversation you've had with God for the very first time, I want to say congratulations to you. You are now a child of God and he will never leave you or forget about you. You belong to him. Congratulations. Again, the greatest choice you can make in life, it brings eternal success. God, I thank you for these individuals who have cried out to you for the very first time. May you encourage them and help them to understand the depths of what you have accomplished on their behalf. God, for those who have already trusted, I pray that you'd help us to walk out with confidence knowing that we belong to you and you won't leave us or forget about us. So help us to share that. Help us to be a bright light everywhere you take us. God, as we respond to you now, help us to be forever grateful for what you have done for us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you call Valley Point Church home or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com slash online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Send us a message at prayer at valleypointchurch.com. Be blessed.